Welcome to the Who'd Have Thunk It podcast. I'm your host, Zeb. This is episode 17, and this episode is going to be about a historical figure known as Jim Thorpe. He was born in 1887 in the Prague Indian Territory that is now known as Oklahoma. He was born and raised in a one-room cabin in Indian Territory by his father, Hiram, and mother, Charlotte, along with his twin brother, Charlie, and other siblings. Jim's Native American name was Watohuk, meaning Bright Path. Jim Thorpe grew up in the midst of his Native American culture being torn down. At the age of two, the territory was sold off as part of the Oklahoma land rush. At the age of eight, Jim's beloved twin brother Charlie died from a pandemic outbreak. After Charlie's death, Hiram sent Jim to the Haskell Indian Institute. But when Jim heard his father had fallen deathly ill, he walked the 280 miles back home in just two weeks all by himself. Could you imagine a child today trying to walk 280 miles? Could you imagine a child today walking two miles by themselves? When Jim returned, he found his father had recovered, but shortly after, his mother, Charlotte, died from giving birth to her 11th child. In 1904, Hiram sends Jim away, again to the Indian Industrial School in Carlisle, Pennsylvania, at the age of 17. Hiram's last words to his son were, You are an Indian. I want you to show other races what an Indian can do. Then Hiram died two months later. The Carlisle School was a social experiment that took Native American children and tried to transform them into modern Americans. Once enrolled, these kids were not allowed to leave for five years. Hundreds died of disease and thousands ran away. Out of the 10,000 that were enrolled, only about 761 graduated. Jim was known for being rebellious and was punished many times by being locked out in the guardhouse. Through the school's outing system, Jim was sent to live and work on white families' farms so he could learn how to live as a white man. He was paid half that of what a white farmhand would have been paid, and he was treated as an outsider by the family. So he promptly ran away, but with no family to turn to, Jim returned in 1907 at the age of 20. At this time, he was becoming quite the young man. He was no longer a child. And Glenn Warner, the athletic director at Carlisle, noticed Jim's athletic ability at track practice. Where other students struggled to high jump over the five-foot, eight-inch bar, Jim Thorpe leaped over it with inches to spare. He quickly stood out as a track star, but Jim was known for being almost too good of a sport. His son, Jack Thorpe, explained that the many times his father would be far out ahead of his competitors, he would stop short of the finish line as to not embarrass his opponent. He only wanted to win, not humiliate them. Jim decided track wasn't enough and found American football more his speed. Keep in mind, this this American football this during this time had no pads. They just had those leather skull caps and a couple leg pads. Their coach, Glenn Warner, was known to break the rules by paying his players cash for each successful play. That would be nice. The 1908 football season started with Jim scoring five touchdowns in the first game. His team went on to beat every college in the Eastern in the East except for Harvard, who they lost to 17 and 0. The summer. That summer, Jim decided to play baseball for the ragtag North Carolina League. He did this to make some extra cash, but playing for any amount of money makes you a professional and also bans you from playing collegiate sports. So he did it on the on the down low, if you will. It is important to note that the North Carolina League was hardly professional. Rules were bent or flat out broken by tampering with equipment to gain advantage. Players frequently switched sides to get more money. And by the end of the season, three separate teams thought 
they had a claim for the championship. So by the end, the president of the North Carolina League, he quit, stating it was a laughing stock. But he did receive pay. Technically, he was a professional. Jim played baseball for two seasons like that. During those years of 1909 and 1910, Jim didn't come back to the Carlisle Institute because he knew he wouldn't be accepted to play uh, for the college teams as he had accepted pay, making him disqualified for that. However, Glenn Warner's team was suffering massive losses without their star player, and he promised Jim he would turn a blind eye to his baseball days if he would return. In 1911, football season started off with blowout after blowout. Jim Thorpe was back in Carlisle and made sure the Eastern Division knew about it. The Pittsburgh Dispatch wrote how Jim Thorpe would punt the ball down the field, then run fast enough to pick it up himself. They wrote he was a host in himself. He appeared to be impervious to injury. When it came time for the Harvard game that year, this time Carlisle won 18 to 15. Jim as the halfback and the kicker scored every point, one touchdown and the rest by field goal. In June 1912, Jim and a fellow teammate qualified for the U.S. Olympics in Stockholm, Sweden. That would be amazing. Back in back then, the Olympics only allowed am- amateurs to play, and amateur was defined a little bit differently. The London Amateur Athletic Club defined amateur as a gentleman forbidden to work as a mechanic, artisan, or laborer. Since the this is a quote, since the average workman has no idea of sport for its own sake, their idea of is that the only people allowed to play in the Olympics were white men who did not need to work for a living. What a joke! <laughs> so different from today. However, the USA did not share the same definition. They defined amateur as anyone who didn't receive pay for playing. So the U.S. included an African American on the to run track, a Hawaiian Pacific Islander on the swim team, and a working New York City cop throwing shot put. Not to mention our boy Jim Thorpe and his fellow Native American teammate Tawanama. Jim entered into the pentathlon for the uh, 1912 Olympics. Based on the ancient Greek event, it consisted of five different events, with the winner being determined by an overall score. The events were the running broad jump, javelin throw, discus throw, 200 meter dash, and 1500 meter run. Jim came in first for four out of the five events. He only came in third in javelin because he had never done javelin before that, before those Olympics. He'd never done it before, and he came in third. <laughs> But he also he didn't just do the pentathlon and win that. He also entered in the decathlon, which included all the events of the pentathlon plus five more. On top of those other the the, penta, the pentathlon events, there was the hundred meter sprint, the hurdles, four hundred meter run, the high jump, and the pole vault. Out of the first nine events of the decathlon, Jim came first in only two, but he was doing well enough that he still had a shot for the gold. If he won the final event, the 1500 meter run. Now, Comedy Central show Junk His- Drunk History shined a light on a legendary story of Jim Thorpe in the 1912 Olympics. Another member of the American team that year, by the name of Avery Brundage, was pegged to be the USA's big winner. But after the first day of the decathlon and, and half the events, it was clear Brundage was being out overshadowed by Thorpe. The next day in the locker room, Thorpe's professional grade track shoes had gone missing. Most people blamed Brundage that he had sabotaged it, but Thorpe didn't seem to mind. He just picked two random leather shoes out of the trash. They were like cut up, and and parts were falling off these shoes. One of the shoes were too big for Thorpe, so he simply put on an extra sock just just so it would fit better. <laughs> and how did Thorpe do that day, especially in the final event, the 1500 meter run with these 
trash shoes, literal trash shoes, beating his own time and the world record by four seconds, Jim came in first with the four minutes and 40 seconds in the 1500 meter run. Jim Thorpe did what no athlete had ever done before. He won the pentathlon and the decathlon. When presenting the awards, Sweden's King Gustafs said, Sir, you are the greatest athlete in the world. A king told him that. And you know what Thorpe said back to him? Thanks, King. <laughs> Just like, thanks, man. It's nice. <laughs> Jim's return to the USA was a ticker tape parade. That's where you see they're throwing confetti out of uh, New York City. It was really awesome. And plus, there was a bunch of scientists back home in the U.S. that wanted to take 46 measurements of his body and attempt to catalog the perfect human form. How cool is that? Despite all the professional sport opportunities, Jim went back to Carlisle to play one more year at Glenn Warner's request out of just pure loyalty. That year, the 1912, Carlisle was pitted against the U.S. military's football team at West Point. This wasn't just a game because West Point, the people they were playing against were the sons and grandsons of the generals that fought against the Native Americans. So there was quite a lot of emotion going on. The whole nation tried to uh, tune into this game. One of the cadets was even Dwight D. Eisenhower, future Supreme Allied Commander in World War II and President of the United States. The Carlisle Indians beat West Point 27-6. to The New York Times wrote, West Point's much-talked-about defense was like tissue paper before the Indians. Thorpe simply ran wild. It was like trying to catch a shadow. In 1913, a newspaper revealed Jim Thorpe had played baseball for money in North Carolina. This disqualified him for the Olympic medals. Despite his loyalty to Glenn Pop Warner and the Carlisle Indian Institute, Jim was coerced into signing a pre-written confession so Jim could take the fall all on his own. It wasn't losing the medals that bothered Jim as much as it was being sold out by the coach he trusted. However, having on the you know bright side here, having his amateur title taken away very publicly, there was nothing keeping Thor from playing professional sports. He had all these professional baseball teams that were trying to give him all sorts of money to play for him, and he promptly signed a three-year contract for $6,000 a year for the New York Giants baseball team. That was a lot of money back then. It's not much at all now. Despite his athletic ability, Jim Thorpe as a Native American was treated as second-class citizen and teammate. When the Giants manager called Thorpe a, quote, dumb Indian for missing a signal, Jim snapped. The six-foot-one Thorpe picked the manager up and shook him like a rag doll. That was the end of Thorpe's career with the Giants. But he did make enough money, and he ended up getting married and bought a house and had his first son. Despite his father being known as, an, as abusive, Jim was known as a gentle and loving father and family man. Sadly, in 1918, Jim Thorpe Jr. became one of the first victims of the influenza outbreak. It caused Jim to hit the bottle hard, and after nine years of marriage, his wife Iva asked for a divorce. Jim went on to marry two more times, and his life and father eight kids in total. But by now, Jim was 36 years old, playing pro baseball in spring and summer, and football in the fall. He was the first president of the American Professional Football Association, later be known as the NFL. Jim also played as a player on the Canton Bulldogs, one of the first teams in the league. And in 1929, at the age of 41, Jim Thorpe played his last pro football game. And in October of the same year, the Great Depression hit. Like millions of his fellow Americans, Jim had trouble finding work. Thorpe then went on to Hollywood, where he found some work as an actor. He fought for equal pay for his fellow Native American actors. He received awards and gave speeches all across America. One speech showed his respect for his roots. 
I have never, quote, I have never forgotten I am an Indian. No Indian can forget it. We settled this country long before the white people ever came to these shores. But red men are wards of the government. The Indian should be permitted to shed his inferiority complex and live like a normal American citizen. Jim died in 1953 at the age of 66 from a heart attack. In 1982, the International Olympic Committee restored his gold medals. And in 1999, a joint resolution of Congress decided he was the greatest American athlete of the 20th century, an entire century. Jim Thorpe, Wathohuk, was orphaned by the age of eight, the age of 17 and went on to be a professional football, baseball, and even basketball player. Not to mention a multi-gold medal Olympian. All that from a one-room shack in Oklahoma. Thanks for listening. This was episode 17 of the Who'd Thunk It podcast with Zeb. My credit goes to, there was a, a one-hour special I saw on YouTube for free, uh, just explaining Jim Thorpe, and I knew some uh, stuff about Jim because there's a town in Pennsylvania named after Jim Thorpe. Uh, we Pennsylvanians love Jim Thorpe. Also, Drunk History, I advise you check that out they had jason momoa playing jim thorpe in that little clip so it's and drunk history is a great show um so thanks for listening hope you tune in next week thanks for listening to the who to thunk podcast guys